greetings, everybody, and welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fredland. I'm excited that you are joining us, and I know a number of you are joining us for the first uh, time or the second time or third time. Our numbers have grown quite a bit lately, so uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for being part of our Rec Poker tribe, if you will. Uh, I want to make sure that you are aware that we've got a number of really cool interviews that we've done in the past, some great players where we talk a lot of uh, strategy. We hear a little bit about their background, but we actually dig into some strategy, and a lot of those interviews have really helped me. So in addition to our most recent ones with Mike Schneider, you can also hear uh, thoughts from Alec Torelli, James Splitsuit Sweeney, Dr. Tricia Cardner, Jordan Young, Gareth James, Sarah Herring, Jonathan Little, Matt Berkey. And then uh, we've got before that, we've got a number of uh, hand situations where we've got input from Rex and pros. And then we go back a ways and you got some more interviews with people like uh, Chris Hansen, Ku Vang, Mark Hodge, Steve Olson, Brian Soja, Chris Fox Wallace, Zach Elwood, Hunter Sitchie, Mike Schneider again, Jonathan Kim, Aaron Johnson, Jason Seitz, and Vlad Revniaga. So a great lineup uh, of our past episodes. So I want to welcome you to go back and take a listen to those. Today I'm going to be interviewing Mr. HPT, Craig Casino, who a number of you have probably seen on the HPT broadcast or maybe even played with a bit. Uh, he's a recreational player that's really focused on playing the HPTs when he has a chance to play. Uh, with that, hey, if you want to uh, help promote the Rec Poker Podcast, greatly appreciate it. We've got merchandise available at floptheworld.com slash poker. Otherwise, I've got some patches. I've got both adhesive and iron-on. I'm willing just to send those out to you for free uh, if you want to represent the brand that way. So thanks for that. Now we'll hear a quick word from our sponsor, Running Aces, and then after that, we will jump right into the interview with Craig Casino. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota, featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit runaces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. Well, everybody, as promised, here with uh, Craig Casino via phone. Craig, first of all, man, just I, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. Uh, my pleasure. I'm uh, looking forward to doing it. Now, where are, we ta- where, where are you at? Where are, we, where are you calling in from? I'm in Winfield, Illinois. We're like a suburb 30 miles or so west of Chicago, little town of like 8,000 people. So just a nice Sunday afternoon, just relaxing a little bit here. Nice. Now, did you grow up in that area or did you move there? No, I, yeah, I grew up here in uh, Wheaton, Illinois, which is right next to Winfield. I always say Winfield's like a suburb of Wheaton, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I grew up there from the time I was two and, uh, you know, just high school sports, college locally and, uh, Got a job on the police department after I got married, so just been here the whole time. Okay, now a lot of our our listeners are going to know you as Mr. HPT, or at least that's where we've seen you playing quite a bit, a lot of final tables on the HPT. So I'm curious, you know, is that is that the one tour you choose to play? Do you play quite a bit? I know you're also, you know, a business owner, so this is you're really a recreational player. But you know, what's the affiliation with the HPT, and why does that seem to be the the chosen tour? Well, I have um, I have a business. I've been running it for 48 years. I was a police officer in the middle of it. Got on the police department and uh, then got into the business. 
and kept it going all this time and then uh, just started playing poker and because of my business because I'm busy many times during the year I don't have the opportunity to like go to a world poker tour event or go to the world series of poker where I may have to spend you know these guys go for weeks or months out there yeah. and I can't I can't even think of doing that it's like this year I haven't even been out to the world series yet um trying to go out for the main next uh, in the next few days but uh That'll probably be the only event I get to play. As far as the Heartland, I love the Heartland. I, I started there. I started locally with Rockford Charitable Games, which is like a local poker charity. Uh, a friend of mine introduced me to it. Hmm. And like everybody else, I'd been watching poker on TV for a long time, you know, just many years, and uh, studied the game. I read poker books and just uh, thought, boy, I could do that. <laughs> I think I could do that. <laughs> so uh, I did okay at Rockford, and then I... I started going to the Heartlands, and uh, things worked out pretty early on at the Heartland, which uh, enabled me to continue to, to play. The reason I like the Heartlands the most is literally I could fly in, like if it's Midwest or something, on a Friday morning. I could be playing at noon, 1 or 2 o'clock, whatever time they start. Play Friday, uh, Saturday, day 1B, 1C, and then day 2 is always Sunday, and I usually have a flight book to come home Sunday night or Monday morning. So if I get through day two on Sunday, you know, my flight is is available in the morning. If uh, I happen to make the final table, then I'm more than happy to reschedule a last-minute expensive flight on Tuesday, you know, after the final table on Monday. So I figure I can afford it at that point. So how many of those do you think you play a year, do you think? Um, the Harlan's varied, you know, the numbers of them they've had. You know, they usually yeah. anywhere from 12 to 22, I think, was their peak some years ago. I try to make 60 to 70 percent, you know, and they, a little more than 50. And I know recently somebody, uh, I was on TV, and kind of James said, he Craig shows up, he's at every event. Well, <laughs> it may seem like it to him because I'm, right. I'm there more than he is, but uh, it just, that's not the case. You know, I'm, I, I miss several events every year. It's just family first, then work, and then yeah. if I have time, I play poker. So if you have a weekend available, I assume is it, is it the HPT is kind of the first thing that comes to mind, or are there other tours or situations where you're thinking, man, I want to I want to do this instead of the HPT? No, HP, HPT usually um, I've played a few MS, I think two MSPT events, but same mm-hmm. same token, they're they're short short time span, and uh, you can be gone for a weekend and be home. And you know, my wife, uh, we've been married for 44 years, and. Her dad used to travel for a living. He was, he was a salesman, so he would be gone five, six days a week. So for me to be gone three days, you know, at a crack, uh, eight, ten times a year is not, not a horrible thing. You know, it's just, uh, right. she said sometimes, sometimes it's better to get away from each other once in a while, get a little <laughs> separation in there. And, and as far as her with me, I can uh, I can see it with me with her. I could put up with her every day of the week. So that's <laughs> right, exactly. That's fine. Yeah. Well, we're we're only at 27 years, so I've, I've got a way uh, to go, and I can learn a few things from you. But yeah, 27 is quite an accomplishment, believe me. Well, thanks. 44. We're, we're on our way to 44, and, and there you go. I hope. So if you think about, um, you know, I'm curious, sort of, you know, the, the pull of poker for you. So you know, you own a business. It sounds like you have you have some freedom to do some. Some different things. There's a lot of hobbies out there. You could you could go fishing. You could shoot pool. You could become a movie connoisseur, a restaurant connoisseur. You could you know go bowling. Like what what is it about poker that that sort of drawn you in? 
Well, I really didn't start playing until I was 56. And, I mean, I played with my dad and my uncles and my friends when I was, you know, 18, 19, 20. We would get together and play the, the quarter-half games and right. just, you know, every game under the sun and had a lot of fun doing it. So I knew the game basically. I enjoy the camaraderie with the, a lot of the tremendous people I've met in poker now and, uh, yeah. the you know, friendships I've made and the people at the Heartland are wonderful, wonderful to me and just great to be around. And, uh, you know, James Larson, Corey, Jeremy... Kenna, those guys are all they're all great guys. It, it's just a good place to go to to play. So so what is it about the the pull of poker though? So you know you play it, it's a great place, you meet great people, you make great friendships. But but I'm guessing there's there's something about the game itself that that energizes you or fuels you or provides a competitive edge or can can you put that into words? Like what is it about poker itself that is well, appealing to you? Yeah, I, I like the thought process. I I, I like the challenge. I mean I. I'm, I'm a situational player and pretty much a circ- and I'm a circumstantial player. So it depends on what's happening at the time. It's like, you know, a lot of players will remember, you know, hands that they played an hour, two or three hours before against certain people. I'm not that way. I, I cannot recall hands like a lot of, a lot of the young players do. I mean, you talk to guys and they, they'll say, well, you know, what, uh, what did you have that hand when you did this? And I did, hey, if I could remember, I would tell you, but I, I really don't. I, I just try to figure out things as I go, get reads on people, and I think I have an edge there, having been a police officer for 14 years, you know, mm. and you just, you know, you can just tell a story. I mean, it's a, you're, you can tell the story or read the story other people are trying to tell you, and does this make sense right now? And that's a huge part of the game, so I think that benefits me. But that's what I like. It's like a, it's just a challenge. Everything in my life has been, uh, yeah. I've, you know, I played baseball, I played all all different sports, basketball, and then um, in college also with with baseball. And I mm-hmm. I just loved the competitive aspect. I'm competitive in everything I do, and uh, poker. Obviously, as you get older, I mean, I played softball till I was sixty, with uh, you know right. friends and whatever, but. Uh, you know, I'm 60, 65 almost now, and uh, softball, I'm done with that. And so, uh, yeah. you know, poker's not all that physically challenging other than the long hours. So there's there's a, there's a lot of people that are, like, hyper-competitive and, you know, get into things. They love poker for the competitiveness of it, but they never really achieve success, you know, mm-hmm. just because they're they're just not skilled. But, you know, you've, you've achieved some level of success, and obviously, you know, as a complete outsider, we don't know – how many tournaments you play, how much one, you know, how much you spend to get to these final tables, but we do see you reaching final tables pretty consistently at the HPT, and so it feels like there's a, you know, a, a modicum of success there. So, you know, everybody can be competitive, but not everybody seems to uh, you know, cross that bridge over to, to success and what they're trying to be competitive at. So I'm curious, you know, in addition to being a police officer, being able to read people, uh, why would you say that you're successful? Do you think you're just Sort of smarter than the average Joe. Do you work harder? You know, what would you can? What do you think has contributed to you becoming a, a passionate poker player to a successful poker player? Well, I'm not smarter than the average Joe. I'm sure of that. As far as <laughs> poker players out there, and uh, you know, just talking to other players, I, I know that's that's not the case. Um, I think for me, uh, I I went to my first Heartland and. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I think the second or maybe third Heartland I went to uh, was in Iowa, in Tama City, Iowa. And I ended up getting 
down to seventh. And at that time, the Heartland only had six players at the final table. So mm-hmm. when we got down to seven, I and another guy named Brian Reisner, I believe his name was from uh, uh, Minnesota, he and I got into a huge hand. And we were the we were the two chip leaders by far. We both had like, I don't know, 480,000 chips. Mm-hmm. Next, the other four or other five players were down 200 or less at that point. And we got into this huge hand. And even though I was ahead, I ended up losing it with the river, which we've all experienced how many times. Right. I finished seventh. Now, made decent money finishing seventh. And I was kicking myself because I'm thinking I may never get that close to a TV mm. table again. You know, it's like, did I just blow it? And I remembered reading poker books that said, you know, the two guys who are the chip leaders. I mean, your first step is to make the money. The next step is to get to the final table. And the next step is to win it. And I shouldn't have put myself in that position almost no matter what the circumstances were, short of having the nuts to get involved mm-hmm. in a hand like that with him. So I ended up losing it, and I felt pretty bad about it. And I talked to him later about that, and I said, uh, you know you know the game, too. I said, you know we weren't supposed to get into that hand. And he said, yeah, but he said uh, the month before at another Heartland, he finished, uh, uh, he finished second in one. And so mm-hmm. he said, I already had been there, and he said, I just didn't care. I just felt like it was good, and he was going to go with it. And mm-hmm. he did, and so he... He'd already been to the final table and recently, and maybe that just gave him that degree of confidence to just know that, just feel like he was going to win this hand and, and get there. So, and he did, and he ended up steamrolling the table and winning, mm-hmm. winning that tournament. And it, you know, it bothers you when things like that happen. But then, uh, went to Colorado, Heartland out there a few months later and finished 18th. Went to a couple other Heartlands after that, didn't do as well, and then, I go to a Heartland again um, about a year later in 2011, and it was the first million-dollar prize pool that the Heartland ever had. Mm. And um, first prize was just under 300000 so it was pretty amazing. And I ended up winning that. And, mm-hmm. you know, once that happened, I mean, I it was in the way that happened was pretty amazing in its own right. I mean, when we were down to 21 players, 22 players I think it was, I ended up losing a huge hand, thought I was out, and stood up and was starting to walk away from the table. And uh, um, it, it just turned out that I, I still had two black chips left, and I'm thinking two, two $10,000 chips. And I thought, wow. So I go all in, I go all in again, I go all in again. I lucked out twice, a couple times I just had the best hand. And uh, before I knew it, I went to the, you know, I got down to the final nine, and uh, I had, or the final six, I'm sorry, and I had the, the chip lead with about nine million chips. So I went from a third of a big blind, because a big blind was at 60,000. I went from that to winning the tournament, and I thought, oh, man, it just, it just you know, you heard the chip in a chair story. This was the two-chip well, yeah, right. in a chair story. But I got That's home, you know. Everybody's I, kind of joking about, oh, a chip and a share, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, you know, yeah. No, it's, like uh, it was, I couldn't believe it. It, it happens. <laughs> right. And uh, so, anyway, I just, uh, you know, that kind of propelled me a little bit. It gave me all kinds of confidence. And, you know, it's like anybody can, just about anybody can get lucky. I mean, we've all seen guys on TV, sure. probably me included. Some would say that, hey, they don't play that great, but, you know, they won the tournament. Well, anybody can win one, but... 
then things worked out that two years later I won another tournament, and then two years after that I won another big tournament, and it was like I was kind of on cruise control. So it, it you know gave me the money to, that I needed to play, and because yeah. I, I you know if I was playing with my own money, I wouldn't be right. playing anywhere near as often as I do. But I'm still way ahead of the curve. I paid my taxes, you know, the minute I got home. Because I heard all the horror stories about that, you know. And then plus, at my age, I know better. You know, it's like yeah. there's a there's a record of what you've won out there. It's easy to find, and you know, so you pay your taxes and keep what's left, and you know, you devote some of it to charity and some to the family, and some you keep playing with. So, so yeah, that's <laughs> that's fantastic. I, I love that story. I love the chip in the chair stuff. Yeah. Don't realize it does happen. It, it literally does. And so, as you think about uh, the success that you've had, I mean, obviously now that gave you confidence. You have you have confidence going in. You've got the bankroll to be able to play and not worry about missing a mortgage if you if you lose. Uh, you've got um, this ability to reach people, or at least you know, kind of psychologically uh, compete that way. But you know, what what's going on with you as far as uh, do you, do you study strategy? Do you study hand ranges? Do you you know, watch your videos. Is there any of that going on, or are you sort of, you know, at this stage, I know what I know, and I'm just, you know, playing when I can play and playing with confidence? Or, you know, is there an intentional, um, I guess, a learning approach to the game beyond what you're doing? No, there's a learning approach. I mean, I've probably yeah. read 15, 16 poker books. I read a couple of them maybe 15 times. You know, just when I'm on a plane, I'm flying here or there. When I'm waiting for day two to start, I get up in the morning. You know, I will pull up video of uh, players that I know are going to be at the final table and and watch. I'll, and, and, you know, but I'm not – I don't have the time to sit and watch, like, Poker right. Go and some of these other shows where – I mean, there is a definite improvement in players today. I mean, you – even me being a novice back when I was playing, and when I watched my own final tables, you know, like back from that one I won in Colorado – it's like, boy, I wouldn't have done that now. I wouldn't have done that now. But you know, enough things went right that I was able able to win it. So, but uh, you know, yeah, it's all all part of it. Net right now, I think I've drifted a little more into I know what I know. Um, I've felt myself drift off a little bit uh, in the last year or two. I, although I did have a second place finish at a Heartland last fall, but. I had kind of a slow period for about a year and a half, and, you know, I just wasn't making day twos. And, you know, somebody asked me about that. You know, why do you why do you think that is? And it's like once you get that, you know, where you've had some success and your friends are asking you about it and your family's <laughs> asking you about it, it gets to a point, to me, it felt like everybody just expected me right. to get to day two all the time and to get to the final day. It's like nobody, unless you're a player, People don't really understand how hard it is to get there. Right. And then when you go through a few events where you're not making day two and you're not getting to the final table, you're not even cashing, you know, that you start putting pressure on yourself. And what am I doing different? You know, what have I changed? You know, have I, am I more aggressive? Am I less aggressive than I was? You know, am I worrying about things I didn't used to worry about? And, and I think that's all, all part of it. I mean, you're, you're always battling with, within your own mind as to, you know how the game how the game affects you and 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 the things you want to do, and you find yourself making mistakes. I, I know I do anyway. You know you watch some of these young guys on TV and you know the final table World Poker Tour events or the Heartlands or whatever's on. You know some of these guys are just excellent excellent players, but a lot of those guys don't. A lot of those guys just 
you don't know how much they've played. You know, I mean, you don't know how many right. events do they play to get there. I mean, there's so few, there's so, so few players around that, you know, you, you, everybody knows the Jason Mercier and the Granu and the guys that have been around for a while, you know, that a lot of those guys had an advantage and they were, they understood the game and were really good at it when there was a lot of really weak players when Moneymaker mm-hmm. did what he did. Well, now with all the poker that's out there, all the books, all the studying, everybody's gotten much better. And I think that's part of it too, because if everybody plays the game well and everybody understands the game and everybody knows why, you know, somebody's doing what they're doing maybe and why they aren't, if then it boils down to who got the most big hands or who didn't make the right. one big mistake. And, you know, it's before you could force your will on people, it's not as easy to force your will on, on people any, any longer. And that was an advantage for me, I think, was that at my age, I think people expected me to play a little more conservatively. Mm-hmm. And before yeah. I you know, got to be known, I was playing. I had Kathy Liebert tell me from a hand we played, she goes, she goes, I hate playing against you. She said, you play like you're 21 years old. Nobody sees it coming. <laughs> and, you know, because we, we were in the uh, the button big blind situation in Arizona, and she everybody folds to her, and she puts in a raise. So the small blind folds comes to me, and I thought, oh, it's Kathy Liebert. She knows she's supposed to raise there. So yeah. I looked down at King 8 offsuit, and I, and I re-raised her. And yep. so she kind of knew of me because I'd already won the Heartland in Colorado, so she's looking at me kind of warily, and then she re-raises again. Yeah. Well, then I re-raise her, I five better the next time, right. and she she finally lays down and she shows she shows jacks, and everybody's going, "Come on, show!" And she's saying, right. "Show!" And I said, "I don't want to show. I didn't want to show her up. You know, I, I yeah, you right. know, just exactly. it's only a hand. I understand that, but so I turn up the king eight. It might have been a king six, but anyway, mm-hmm. turn it up and." She just shakes her head, and we're walking out at the break, and she said, you know, you play like you're 21 years old. She said, you're tough to play against. I took that as a huge compliment. Yeah, so, sure. uh, but, you know, but that's not working so much anymore because, yeah, I've, you know, I've been on – somebody said to me last year, and I didn't even think about it, but they're, pro- they're probably right. They said, do you realize that you've been on TV playing tournament poker for the, for the, the entire event, you know, that – more than probably anybody in the world. Hmm. And I had to think about that. And, I, and I'm thinking, okay, 11 Heartlands, final tables, that's, that's a lot. And then five Chicago Poker, uh, Chicago Poker, and that's Chicago, Windy City, uh, Windy City Classic. I've been on five times there, I believe. Hmm. And that's 16 times playing the entire final table tournament till I got knocked out. Well, yeah. guys kind of figure out how you play when they see that over and over and over again. So I thought, well, yeah, you know, I mean, everybody's seen Helmuth on a million times and Negreanu and all these guys, but a lot of, and they have been, but how many times have you seen them play the entire final table of the tournament? It just doesn't come up that right, often. Right. So, I, so I, I, think, yeah, I think that kind of hurts me too. Well, I suppose it works both ways. Though. I mean, you have different dynamics at play. So people, you know, if they're watching them and actually studying how you play, they're going to learn some insight about how you play. But then there's also the the awe factor against playing somebody who's, you know, you've seen on TV and, you know, does that create more fear in people or does that create them to be more aggressive because they want to win a pot off of you? And, you know, so there's all those sort of dynamics that you kind of have to navigate almost like how is this person approaching playing against me that they know? Are they going to be more timid or are they going to 
you know, they want to tell their buddies they bluffed me off a hand. You know, I guess no, they're not more. Of... They're not more. They're only. They're not more timid. I'll, I'll guarantee okay. you that. I, I have <laughs> players tell me, have told me many times that you know what, I was okay playing that hand with you because I knew I figured I was behind, but I knew if I if I if I got knocked out, I could say I got knocked out by you, huh. and if I end up beating you or knocking you out, I can say I knocked you out. You know, so right. yeah, that, that's obvious, and that's a factor for a lot of players out there. And, sure. you, and you have to you have to figure out how to navigate that. So yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things that that change change the game for individual players, and I uh, I don't know, I just I still enjoy it, still like playing it, yeah. not quite as much as in the beginning, but. Yeah. You know, I still go, and I'm, I'm playing a lot less. It's not that I'm not cashing that much. It's, it's, you know, I think I've only played three times this year, okay. and it's almost July, and yeah. um, that's not that's not a whole lot. And I played a few times last fall, so yeah, I haven't been playing as much lately. But I'm getting to the point too where I don't like being away from home that much, and right. I, uh, you know, even on the weekend, I, it's like, what do you do? You get there, you play. You wake up in the morning, you watch TV for six, seven hours. You know, I, I don't yeah. just go down there and play blackjack, and I don't do right. all that stuff, you know. So it's like if I've got money to devote to gambling, for me, I want it to be I'm going to spend it on poker buy-ins on tournaments because I rarely even play cash games. If I'm somewhere and yeah. I just I, I made it to day two on the first day I'm there and I've got a whole day to burn, then I'll go and sit and play a 2-5 or 5-10 cash game, you know, for a couple hours just to go down and do something and then – and then head back up to the room and wait till it's time to play again. The yeah, you and I are the same way. I, you know, I've, I've never played any table games at all, and I play cash three or four times. I'm kind of yep. a one-trick pony. Just for me, more you know, on, the, on the starting starting line of you know being a being a player. But I'm like, man, I got to figure out this one thing, and I just want to play where I actually have a skill edge or at least skills involved or something. Yeah. So, so we're kind of the same way that way. I'm, I'm curious a little bit. Uh, you mentioned. Uh, you know, there's a, a number of books that you've read and some of them multiple times and you watch some videos. Are there certain players or certain videos or books that have been more influential in in your development as a player than others? Or are there certain ones that you're like, man, that, that really helped me become a better player? Well, early on, the, the book that I enjoyed the most and read the most was um, Every Hand Revealed by Gus Hansen. Mm, yeah. And, uh, you know, everybody <laughs> that, knows that Gus, Gus is kind of... year-old attitude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, I, you know, I love that book. And it was, it was like, written for me. I mean, it's like that's kind of how I was playing anyway. And when I watch players on TV now as to who plays how and, you know, what they do, I think, to me, and I'm not comparing myself in any way, shape, or form to the sure. quality of play of Daniel Negreanu, but I play Daniel Negreanu hands all the time. Mm. You know, if I see four or five of spades or eight nine of diamonds or whatever, and I don't care what position I'm in, I'll play those hands. And I know I'm giving up chips a lot of times doing it. But, boy, when you hit them big, you hit them big. And, and mm. a lot of times those big hands are the ones that make the difference in the tournament. You know, you can lose a lot of small pots, but, boy, when the right hand comes along, you know, you got to be willing to put chips out there. And there's a there's a lot of guys that just won't play those hands. You know, they they think, okay, an ace or a king's going to show up. Then what am I going to do? I never give up on a hand. I mean, I do give up, but I mean, <laughs> I'm every card that shows up, I'm thinking, what can I represent? What are they thinking I'm holding? The nice thing when you play like I do with those types of hands is, let's say I do have ace king, and the flop comes five seven nine. 
right. and it's I continuation bet. Well, yeah, I mean, even though I haven't hit my hand, everybody, they'll look at me all the time and say, God, you're all over that flop. I just know it. Right. And, <laughs> and, and, but then when I do have the cards that work with that hand, then they're, you know, then they're a little more cautious maybe. But if they've got kings or, you know, aces or whatever, and I've got a chance, I may, I might have to see another card. Or maybe I made my hand right away by flopping two pair or flopping trips. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, uh, they just don't know what to do with me. That, yeah. that, that's why I like playing those hands. That's what I'm known for. And, you know, my chip stacks go up and down like a, like a roller coaster, but you gotta learn, you gotta be able to deal with that. You gotta not get all bummed out if you, you know, you have 600,000 chips and then you got 150,000. You can't, you know, you just can't give up and just give away chips after that because you think you, you blew it. I mean, just the way you went down, you can go back up. So you just, right. you have to have the, the mental fortitude to deal with those types of swings. Well, I think that's where experience has helped you. Like you said, you know, coming back from from 20,000 chips to win the tournament or, you know, anytime you've been low and been able to recover and, you know, those sorts of things give you confidence. So you're not going to be as scared of losing a pot as you would be if, like, you, you, you're never able to recover. You know, if you don't have that experience of recovering and being successful. Yeah. And, and every you know, I mean, people look at that different ways, but it's like, when that happened that day, and oh, and I, I, did, I should have mentioned earlier anyway, it was Bernard Lee who stopped me. He was at my table, and I, I'm putting my backpack on, and I'm turning to walk away. Mm-hmm. And there were, it just looked like the other player had had me covered easily, but he had a lot of smaller chips. And Bernard goes, "Don't leave yet, Craig." He goes, "You may have some chips left over." And I turn over my shoulder and I look, and the dealer throws those two black chips. But yeah, that def- definitely helps your confidence to realize. I mean, you know, obviously the cards worked out for everything to happen the way it did. You don't go from right. that right. situation with 21 players left out of 680 with the big at the blinds at 30 and 60 thousand with a 10 thousand ante, and and build from that to you know. They have happened what happened for me, but you know it just has to happen to you once. And I think everybody that plays long enough, they realize that you know they, they've seen their chips swing and they know they can get on those runs. But it doesn't matter, even though they know it can happen. I see a lot of guys just give up once they've lost a, a lion's share or a big chunk of their chips and just start playing different or you know just giving away chips or give away the rest of the tournament. And I'm not even saying that I haven't done that a time or two. Sure. You know, I mean I I I have. I mean every, you know, I'd be lying to say I always do that right. I don't. You know, but I I know enough to try to fight through that, but sometimes it it just doesn't work out. You know, you just don't you lose the patience. You just don't have the patience right. to stay in there and do it again. Well, I think for me the key takeaway on everything you just shared is that you owe Bernard Lee some of that three hundred thousand dollars. Oh yeah, I, I took care of Bernard. I, <laughs> he's, he's involved with some charities and uh, oh, you know okay. offered him some stuff, and he said, yeah. uh, "How about donating to this?" And what? And I, I said, "More than happy to." And so no, but it's kind of funny though. Bernard, uh, when he he did that, and you know, I was kind of turning around and walking, starting to walk from the table. But when he stopped me, but every time you hear him on the radio or something, and he tells that story, it's like it's gotten to the point where it's like he's tackled me on my way out the door, right, exactly. <laughs> and dragged me back to the table. Car. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah, I love that guy. He's a, he's just a great guy. He's great for poker, and um, he just he's very charity oriented and very family oriented, and he's just a great guy. That's fantastic. So, so you know, the Gus Hansen book meant a lot. Are there other things that stand out as, as uh, I guess, defining moments for you, either giving you specific insights into, you know, how the, how the game works or overarching strategies? Anything else stand out there? 
Uh, I don't know. I yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know how to answer that exactly. I, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, it's like I'm always like everybody. I'm always trying to figure out the game, and I'm trying yeah. to figure out the changes in the game. You know, like how are pl- players playing now? I mean, you know, it's very now. When you get called after a continuation bet, you don't know if you're getting floated. You don't know if you're getting right. slow played. You, I mean, it's that's where the read part is is, yep. is so important. I mean, you know, with what speed did he make that play? How confident does he seem in what he's doing? Does he look like he's trying to figure out what he's doing as he goes, or does he look like he knows what he wants? Is he is he a high quality player that you know is trying to throw me off? Is he a weaker player that? Yeah, it's just it just goes on and on and on. The game is so complicated and so difficult, and right. all you can do is go with your read and try to figure out, you know, this is the right thing to do and go with it. And hopefully, you're right, but a lot of times you're not. So, so, so I'm curious as, as a as a read player, and it's interesting. I've, I've talked to a number of different players, and there really is a spectrum of, you know, the guys that are you know highly mathematical, highly analytical, highly you know GTO oriented, all the way through to People that are saying, I have no idea really, you know, I don't have any strategy going in. I'm just kind of trusting my gut and trusting my readers. There's this whole spectrum of people. And I'm curious, you know, as as you're describing yourself more as a read player, uh, do you still go in? Do you still have sort of, I guess, preset ranges for what you're going to, you know, what you're going to raise with pre-flop in different positions? I mean, do you still have sort of an overarching structure of different hand ranges that you'll three-bet or continuation bet or anything like that? Or is yeah. everything fully... Uh, fully, you know, read based. Yeah, no, I mean it's mostly read based, and I, I I know a lot of players that are very mathematical, and yeah. they will go with the math every time, no matter what. And to me, that just does. I mean, I know the basic math. I know how to figure out what the odds, you know, right of your outs are and all that. But I and I use that. I mean, obviously, you have uh-huh. to you have to weigh that into the equation. But I know guys that take it so much further. And if right. they think they're ahead, or if they got a slight edge, they're gonna they give up big chunks of chips or all their chips, you know, just because the math was right. And while I was ahead, and I just I don't know, I just I'm not that way. I just mm-hmm. I just don't. I just think people put too too much into the math. Maybe you know, and I'm sure they're gonna say I'm wrong in that. You know, a lot of the players that are, and I'm not gonna change anybody's thinking. But for me, that doesn't give me confidence. What gives me confidence is looking at the cards that are on the board, looking at the positions of the players that are involved in the hand, looking at the chip stack sizes as to why they might have done what they did based on, you know, where was their chip stack, where's their chip stack now, is this guy panicking, you know, I just, there's just so many things. It's not just does he move his hands a certain way or does he, right. you know, does he verbalize when he's bluffing and just put chips out when he's not, you know, it's so much more than that. So it's just, and it only comes with, I think, experience, in play, and I've again, I've learned. I think I've learned how to adapt. You know, just what I saw in the field as a police officer toward you know, yeah. as far as body image and motion. I think, and and I, you know, and I know I don't have the best body image at the table when I'm playing at the final table. Sometimes I, I, but I, my mind is so busy trying to figure everything out. I, my wife said, <laughs> you're I always said I'm very fidgety, and I am. You know, I don't I don't sit like a rock. I don't sit like a stone at the table and not move and afraid to do this or that. I'll sit back in my chair and a lot of times I'm throwing reverse tells out there. You know, right. I'll sit back, I'll sit forward, I'll bet fast, I'll bet slow. I just you know, I try to try to vary it so that people can't figure anything out, but I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe some people have figured me out. Well no, so so <laughs> who knows, right? But I yeah. mean it's so so part of it is, you know, you're looking at 
you know, the other person's motivation quite a bit is what I'm hearing in that. Is, you know, why are they doing what they're doing? Are yeah. they strong? Are they weak? And then, obviously, you're taking that as an input and you're combining that somehow with the strength of your hand. I mean, in some cases, you're probably just going with your soul read, like with Kathy, and you're just going to, you're going to five bet shove or whatever, you know, just because you have a soul read. But, you know, a lot of times, I would guess you're, you're looking at their motivation and then you're coupling that with your hand strength or whatever that is and to make a decision, right? Oh, without that, question, without yeah, question. Yeah. But some, you know, sometimes I'm just, I, I just know I don't have a hand, and I and right. I'm looking at what what can I represent here? How's the hand yeah. played out? And um, you know, I just I was just watching, I was just on, I don't know, last week on the Heartland uh, from an event from St. Charles, and um, Kenna was you know looking at a couple of the hands I played, and in one hand I um, I checked the flop and then I bet the turn and I bet the river and I got called and I had king high and my opponent had ace high and he just Mm -hmm. decided to go with that well that's fine he made a great call and I said it was a great call and it was Kenneth said well you know if he would have bet the turn or bet the flop and bet the turn he would have taken it down then and he's right I would have but then again I'm setting up my my opponent hopefully for later because Mm. later on uh, which ended up ending it for me because I'm not, you know, I'm never afraid to see cards hit the board. I just don't, just because there's two spades out there, I don't necessarily put my opponent on two spades in his hand. Right. You know, so, uh, but toward the end, uh, the hand that was, that happened was I had pocket sixes. Yeah, I thought and, this was rough. <laughs> yeah, and we were heads up, and it was my birthday weekend. I was born on the 6th. It's oh, one of my lucky <laughs> numbers as a rule, and okay. it was going to be my birthday in just a couple, in two days. And I just knew I was going to yeah. hit the set. I just knew it. And when the, it was in the window, and I thought, wow, I just knew that was going to happen. Now, a few hands before, I, we went into, this, into the final two players, and he had like, I don't know, I forget, 8 million chips. I had 2 million, something like that. And I got lucky. I played 6-4, one of my hands, and the flop came king 6-4. So I thought, boy, if he's got a king in his hand, I'm going to mm-hmm. double up here. And... I did. You know, I, I, I blindsided him, and I did. Well, then we get two hands later, we get into the hand where I get the set of sixes. And the flop came king, eight, six. So I'm thinking, if he's got a king, I'm going to win this thing. Because I only had a I had 150,000 chip um, edge on him. It was 5,150,000 to 5 million, something like that. So mm-hmm. I bet out. I bet the set. And he caught 400 Four or four fifty, I think I bet, and he called. So right there, I'm putting him on. I'm thinking he's got a king, but he's not re-raising me. So maybe he's got a, a weak king. Right. So then the turn comes and it's safe. It's a deuce, and I'm feeling pretty good about that. So um, I checked the turn because I wanted him thinking that hey, when I checked, when I checked right. earlier, I was checking that you know because I was bluffing because I knew I was going to put a big bet out there on the river. If he just also checked, you know, when he checked, he had checked first. So then, um, then the uh, four shows up on the river, and there was no mm-hmm. flush possibility. I didn't even see the straight because I had such tunnel vision that he had a king in his hand, and right. I thought he had two pair. I thought I was right about him having a weak king, and he probably hit two pair on the turn of the river with the king deuce or the king four, and I just had it in my head. That's what he had. And boy, when that, we turned those cards up, I bet uh, the million he shoved, I called, and, uh, there's no way I'm laying that down, you know, heads right. up anyway. But, uh, you know, I, somebody said, well, did you feel bad? You know, if you would have bet the turn, maybe he would have folded. Well, he was open-ended. 
I would have had to bet like 1.5 or 1.6 instead of what I should have bet, which was 800 or a million, you know, something like that. But right. either way, I think he's calling, unless I went really big. If I went really well, big, I'm yeah. giving up the value I have yeah. in my set. And if I shove, I see players do that all the time. They, they shove yeah. with these strong – it's like, right. why did you do that, you know? You, you want them to hold a gut shot. Oh, yeah, exactly. That'd be so, a crime if you folded that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so in, in that case, I let a card hit the board. But I think it, it would have hit anyway, and we would have had the same result. But, yeah. you know, that's what I'm saying. You know, sometimes you you check here, and everybody says, well, you shouldn't have done that. Well, what people at home have to realize when they're watching poker on TV is that the announcers already know – how the hands are right. going to play out. Exactly. They, 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 you know, I did the announcing for one of the Heartlands, and yes. they give you all the hands, and you get to study them ahead of time, so you know what your comments are going to be. So, you know, it's more interesting when everybody thinks right. they're making these comments but, live, but they already know. The you reason. Know. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's the reason the hand made the TV. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, it's, uh, but it, yeah. that's why I do what I do, and you know, we all make decisions, we all make plans, and sometimes it it works and sometimes it doesn't, and hopefully it works more than it doesn't, and you get to the right. end. Well, one of the things I'm hearing out of this, too, is consistent with what I think everybody has said, regardless of where they are on the spectrum. I think what I hear is you, you've got to, you know, it helps you the most if you can develop a, a playing style that is consistent with your personality. Yeah. I mean, it's very, it'd be very hard for somebody who's super, you know, just, tight and, you know, uh, risk-averse by nature to become Gus Hansen. And it's hard for somebody who's, you know, just kind of free to become a nit, or, you know, it's hard for somebody who's really mathematical to really become psychologically based. And yes. so what I'm hearing is, you know, it's kind of know yourself, be self-aware, know your personality, figure out what playing style works with that, and then optimize that. Within that, you know, find find people or find situations that you can learn from to really optimize your style. And that's what I hear from you, is it sounds like, you know, you know yourself, you know what you know, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, and you figure out a way to kind of optimize your, your strategy with that. No, that's that's very true. And it just, um, it, it's just, it's like right now I'm trying to snug myself up a little bit. I'm, I'm trying to tighten up a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't have as much fun playing that way, <laughs> right. but, I, but, I, but I need to because I'm just, I'm getting called by hands I know I wouldn't normally get called by, mm-hmm. but be, I know it's because it's me. And I have people telling you, well, I know how you play and this and that or whatever. So it's like, so I'm having to change my style a little bit. And I don't have as much fun do, playing that way. And maybe that's why I'm not playing as much, you know, as I used to. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. but I don't know. I just, it's like anything else. You, you, you live and learn. You, know, you just keep yeah. working on the game and... You know, it's I've been luckier than most, and you know, been for, more fortunate than most, and I understand that, and I realize it, and I know it's not because I'm a a great poker player or anything like that. I mean, as I said before, anybody could win one. I know I'm doing something right because, you know, winning that Heartland was one thing, but uh, two years later, I won the Chicago Poker Classic, and that was against like five thousand. 100 and some players I ended up winning that and I came back from a chip deficit there too and uh and then a couple years later won the championship open for the Heartland against 480 so I don't think you just get lucky three times right. I and I know I got lucky the first time but uh I don't know I'm doing something right but you know lately been a little bit tougher and I you just have to realize that and where you are and do what you have to do to hopefully fix it well, I think nobody's immune to variance, so you're going to be going through swings up and down 
yeah. both ways, but obviously your results over the long term are going to speak for themselves. And I think, you know, one thing I wanted to point out just from an outsider's perspective, and, and again, who knows, we don't see everything about every player, but, you know, as, as I watch you on TV, it just seems like you're one of those guys that, man, you know, you, you handle winning well, you handle defeat well, you're a good ambassador for the game, it seems like you're a good ambassador for the HBT, and I think, you know, as, as I talk to more and more players about how do we grow the game, we need more folks like that, you know, treating people the right way at the table, win, lose, or draw, you know, versus the, the sort of the attitudes that tend to drive recreational players away from the game by berating people or, or that. Yeah. So I think, you know, just from a, from a representing the recreational players that listen to this podcast, I want to thank you for, I guess, how you present yourself and being a, a good ambassador for the game. Well, it's really nice of you to say that, but I mean, you know, in the back of your mind as you get older and a little more mature, you, you, you want to sit back and think, my kids are going to watch this, my grandkids right. are going to watch this, my friends are going to watch this. You know, I mean, it's only a game, and, you know, either way you're at the final table and you're making a lot of money one way or the other. Whether you know, And that's another right. thing, too. You know, it makes a difference when I don't rely on poker to make a living. You know, I'm still working a job. I, I love what I do, and I continue to do it. I've got employees counting on me to do what I do. I've got family counting on me to do what I do. I know that's set in stone. And I'm I'm good with that. You know, poker is just it's a novelty. Mm-hmm. And again, if I hadn't been as lucky as I had been over the years, I wouldn't be playing even as often as I do. But you know, at some point, if I end up going through my my little poker stash, and yeah, I'll play less. <laughs> so right. Well, I want to I respect your time, so we can close up here. But I'm curious, uh, you know, what, what's next for for Craig? I mean, are you kind of just plowing along and playing when you can play. Do you have any any specific things coming up you want people to know about, or you know, I guess also, you know, are you are you directly affiliated with the HPT, and if so, kind of what do they have going on? So give us a little bit of a, a insight into what's coming up for you. Yeah, I just no, I, I plan on going to you know mostly HPT events like I have been because of the uh, the time as we talked about. You know, it's a weekend and that works really well for me. Um, I'm not really affiliated with the HPT. I mean, I got that nickname that I do and you know, people kind of know me for that, but you know, yeah. I've just uh I've got a lot of I've got I'm I don't know. I've got I've got yeah. some records there with them that are are fairly substantial and it's just, you know, I I like being there. I'm known there and do I have any special plans not really other than to play those? I do play plan to go to play the main event yeah. although by the time this airs Right. Uh, you know, that will be, be done already. But, uh, yeah, I'll probably play three or four events this fall and then wait and see what next year brings. So, no, nothing, nothing earth, okay. earth shattering, that's for sure. Well, hopefully we can, our claim to fame can be that we were the final interview you did before you yeah. <laughs> started the, uh, your World Series run and won the main event. So, we'll, well I hope we'll so. That'd be that great. Right now, hopefully. Yeah, wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. yeah, that would be something else. I mean, what a dream for the guys that get there, you know? It oh. just, what a dream! Yeah. I know uh, Neil Blumenfeld. He uh, finished third a couple years ago, yeah. and uh, he's just a, he's, he's a great guy. And you know, I know him from the Heartland, and it's just just okay. such a thrill for him. But yeah, I'm always happy for the guys that get there. I just it's just a thrill of a lifetime. And you know, what I've been fortunate enough to do a few times. I, I wish that for everybody that plays out there, because it's it, it is a special moment. And you know, you know, it may be the last time ever that you know. I, every time I. I play it, or every time I'm on TV, I, I'm thinking this could be the last time ever. And, it's, right. you know, so you try to appreciate it as you go along. But uh, no, I, I wish that for everybody out there and all your listeners, that the, the right things come together for them and they get there at some point. 
that's fun. I think for a lot of our listeners, you know, our dream is to play the main event period, just to play it. So yep. there's sort of different classifications of dreams. But I think, you know, for any of us, you know, our dreams to come true that, boy, someday you'll win that $150 deep stack at your local casino, or someday you'll make a TV final table at the HPT, or someday you'll run deep in the main event. I think it's it's fun to have that. I think what, what I enjoy, even though there's some some characters that are a bit sketchy in the poker community in general, like you said, you meet all these great people, you build this community, and, you know, I'm in Minnesota, and for sure here, at least, you know, people are railing people virtually every event, you know, and I think there's this, this great camaraderie and community where we really, at the end of the day, are all rooting for each other's success, and I think uh, that that's something that I found in poker that I think is, is a fantastic part of my life. Yeah, there's there's no question, and you know, I mean, if you if you root for your friends and you go there and you're happy for them, then yeah. hopefully they'll do it for you. You know, I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's the one problem with when you travel around to play. Usually, you don't, you know, I mean, you know, some of the players that are there, but right. like with the Heartland, these guys are everybody's heading home. You know, they get knocked out, they're heading home, and so there's right. not a lot of people in the audience. There aren't even a lot of people in the World Poker Tour audiences. It looks like there are. But, uh, you know, it depends on where they're playing and who, who hangs around there to, to, to be involved in that. But, uh, I don't know. It just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great game. It's a lot of fun to play. And, uh, you know, I appreciate the, the time. Yeah. All right, sir. Well, I, man, I appreciate your time again. And, uh, if you ever need anything from us, please let me know. We're happy to help do whatever we can if there's anything that you ever need. Sure. Thanks, Steve. Thanks a lot. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks, Craig, for your time and your words. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, tune in next week for yet another interview. I think we're planning on uh, airing the interview I had with Kenna James. So that'll be next week, and then uh, we'll go from there. But good luck, everybody, on and off the felt. Feel free to reach out to me directly, stevefredland at gmail.com, if you have any questions or ideas or concerns. Otherwise, just connect with us on Facebook. We have a group, Rec Poker, Twitter, at Rec Poker. And if you would be willing to uh, rate and review and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, that would be phenomenal. All right, everybody, have a good week.